0: On this week's episode of the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I share my interview with Brian Hollingsworth of Royal H Cycles in Boston, Massachusetts. Each week on the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I get on the phone and I talk to somebody in the bike frame building world about frame building and uh, usually that's a frame builder and sometimes it's a frame painter or like when we had Bina Balinki on the show as a uh, as a trade show, um, you know, organizer, uh, owner. Anyway, and, uh, you know, I want to get Mark from Paragon Machine Works and I want to get Brent from Bike Cat and all these different people that make the industry work and uh, just talk about frame building and talk about bikes and, and how it all happens. And so, um, you know, I, I wanted to get Brian on the show for a long time. I actually recorded an interview with him like eight months ago or somewhere in there. And I lost it tragically. The file, uh, it stopped recording in the middle of the conversation or something and I couldn't use it. I forget exactly what happened, but anyway, I felt really bad about that. And and Brian was a good sport and he's like, yeah, no, let's do it again. Um, so thank you, Brian. And, um, and I get to share it with you. Uh, I was more careful this time. I, I have a system now. It's pretty foolproof. But uh, back then, I was figuring it out. So uh, anyway, uh, Brian's work is really cool. He does a lot of, like, uh, it's it's all brazed steel stuff. Uh, he does some collaborations uh, that we talk about just a little bit. And he's worked at Seven Cycles around titanium. And he's done a fair amount of, like, carbon fiber and bonding carbon fiber into, you know, steel and, uh, and titanium and stuff. So it's not like he, he is someone who can only... Uh, braze a bike out of steel or something. But that's that's what he's known for, and that's what he does best. And uh, he does it very beautifully. Uh, his, his bikes are, I think, um, some of them, he has two brands, basically. He has Royal H cycles, but then he also does Hollingsworth cycles. And uh, Hollingsworth are like the carved lugs and the real old school sort of uh, stuff. And I think on some or all of those actually... His uncle, who is I think a woodworker, um, also loves bicycles, and uh, his, so his uncle loves to carve lugs. And so his uncle actually heads up like the the lug carving process with the jeweler saw, and needle files, and all that stuff. He just you know it's just kind of fun to sit there and, and carve. And so his uncle doesn't actually construct the bikes, but he's a nerd about bikes. And so if you want a Hollingsworth, you can go to Brian and his uncle Pete, I think, and uh, and you can talk all about you know what what kind of stuff you want carved into the lugs, the way you want it to look and, and whatever. And, uh, Pete will, you know, in his, in his spare hours or whatever, he'll, he'll be like carving away this lug set and then he'll pass it off to Brian and Brian will braise it into a bicycle, you know, as per the geometry and and the parts and all that stuff. But then, uh, uh, the Royal H brand is where, um, you know, it's, I think tends to be more modern steel bikes that are brazed with, you know, larger diameter tubes and, uh, you know, maybe a carbon fiber fork and disc brakes and that sort of thing. And so, um, Yeah, Brian does a a wide variety of stuff, which is, I think, an interesting sort of um, thing. Not everybody does that. I think he's done a lot of cool bikes where uh, either his customer or he has, like, collected some sort of vintage parts kit that you can't really get, well, you certainly can't get anymore, and so you have to round it up on eBay or or through some sort of uh, vintage uh, collector supply, something or another. And so, anyway, swap meets, maybe. He's done a lot of cool bikes like that, and Brian and I go way back. Uh, he's one of the first frame builders that I was ever really aware of and uh, super interested in, and I followed his work. And I remember um, I met him in the summer of 2010. I visited his shop in Somerville, in Boston, which is like a historically significant building too. It's you know it's where Merlin and Fat City and some of these other uh, bike frame building shops were in like the you know decades prior. And uh, so he was building bikes there. And then a couple of years later, when I met him at the Philly Bike Expo, I didn't know if he'd remember me. And he said, we were talking for a second, he said, oh yeah, I follow your Tumblr. And uh, I don't know, that was a cool moment. That uh, The first time I met him, I was just kind of like a, I don't know, like a fanboy fan or something. And uh, I shared a slice of pizza with him that I had or something. And I, I saw some of the stuff he was working on and, and the shopmate that he had. But anyway, years later, he, he was actually, had seen my stuff and was aware of it. So that I thought that was cool. And we talk a little bit about this time trial bike competition that he, he he shared a shop space with ian sutton who did icarus cycles and so we're going to talk some in this interview about these time these dueling time trial bikes that they made which were freaking cool and um uh you know so we talk a little bit you know, and uh so anyway where we cut in on the interview here uh i had asked him about you know going to ubi the united bicycle institute to learn to do bicycle frame building And uh, so he took two classes back to back, first a TIG welding one and then a brazing one. And so I haven't really seen him do TIG welding and I had to ask him about that. I was curious to to learn that about his history. The sponsor for this week's episode is, once again, it is the Cobra Frame Building Tube Bender. That's T-O-O-B. It's a misspelling for the sake of fun and so (laughs) Anyway, uh, it's been the sponsor before. I just want to mention I'm making some revisions to the tool because I've sold out of the first batch a while ago, and I've just nearly sold out of the second batch and so I'm scurrying to complete the third batch of the tool but I'm making some little updates to it with this with this time around and so uh, I'm making it just a little bit easier to uh, locate the start point of the bend um, one of the really cool benefits of my tool, I think, is that uh it 's pretty easy, even you know with the the older version of the tool it 's very easy i think to uh to like you know make a computer model of the bike you want with the tubes bent the way that you want them, and then to make the bends in the tubing to fit that design to get it right the first time without screwing around too much and then uh to just move on and so uh that was already very possible with my vendor, but uh, i 'm making that a little bit easier so that you can mark the point of tangency or like the start of your bend. You know, the point of tangency is where where the arc becomes tangent to the line. And so if you have a straight tube and then you put a a bend in it, that point where the bend starts, that's the point of tangency, right? And so um, you would mark that with a Sharpie or something a lot of times, and then you would load it into the tool And you would line that mark up to something else, right, up to the point of tangency of the bend die, and you'd start your bend, and uh, that's totally possible in my older benders, but now I'm just making it even easier. I added a little peephole so you can see where that is. You don't need to transfer your line, and uh, I'm making some other little changes to make the tool just a little bit more robust and flexible and and badass, and... um, and you know, it's a small package, so it doesn't eat a lot of floor space. It does a very wide variety of bends. Uh, there's a ton of dies you can get for it from like different radii and different tube diameters. And, uh, and, and it's just, I don't know. I just think it's a very elegant and awesome solution. The the cool thing about a tube bender as a frame builder, or I guess any fabricator, but, um, you know, this one is very bike specific in the thoughtfulness that I, the design that I put into the tool, but, um, but anyway, the cool thing about a tube bender is that you know when you can cut metal and you can weld or braze or glue it together, uh, that is really powerful. You can do a lot of stuff with that. But uh, if you can't bend the tubes without getting big ripples and kinks, or, or if you can't do it in an expedient way or something, uh, you're pretty limited. And when you can bend the tubes in addition to cutting them and welding or brazing them together or whatever... That really uh, decreases greatly the number of limitations that you have, so that you can choose the material and the wall thickness. You can put the bends exactly where you want them, and you can make it just as weird as you want. Or if you're going for more of a refined thing, you know, I like I'm a fan of the single bend rear end uh, where it makes sense. You know, so chain stays and seat stays that just have like one bend in them, uh, if if and when that makes sense. And so you don't need that much bend. And uh, turns out you can't really get there's not many options for seat stays and chain stays off the shelf that have just one bend that's just the right amount of bend in just the right spot. And, uh, and it's like that with S-bends also for stays. And additionally my tool will do main tubes and so I think it's, a, it's an awesome piece of kit to have in your shop. It really opens up a lot of doors for what you can do. So anyway, uh, check it out at cobraframebuilding.com. It is now $1,600 and it's, uh, it's, I think it's a steal at that price. Uh, what, what that allows you to do in your shop, I think is, is huge without me yapping anymore. Let's get into this interview with Brian Hollingsworth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I definitely took the, um, brazing class, but I started taking the, um, the welding class and I was in a class with Taylor Sizemore and, uh, Jordan Hufnagel. Um, Mm -hmm. so it was like, like a little superstar, uh, classic, like people who are like really serious. Like they're, you know, uh, I think UBI is, it can be a lot of hobbyists, which is great. Like, yeah you know, oh, I want to build a frame and that's, that's that. Um, but that year there were two, three people who wanted to like start, um, actual companies, uh, and a group of older men who wanted to start a, a recumbent motorized trike company. I don't Whoa. know what happened to them. Yeah. They also were like lounge singers so like after work they would go down to like the local hole in the wall bar and like there was like an electric piano and they would like, croon for the you know the the women of a certain age of of uh, wow. Ashland Oregon yeah it was it was a magical time
0: that's awesome uh,
1: yeah and I think Taylor was like I don't think he was twenty one Jordan didn't drink like it was just a very surreal world of like these two older guys who wanted to build recumbent motorized trikes <laughs> and and us just enjoying the scene um and yeah jordan and i were talking like i feel like we would have we'd have these epic food debates like you do when you're in your 20s because he was vegan and like Mm -hmm. you know we were talking about that i was like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna try that uh i feel like it was a very formative very formative time Uh Um, so anyway we took the we took the tig welding class first um and i think taylor i think we both signed up or each of us signed up for both classes so we took the tig welding first and then uh, the lugged, uh, cause in the lug class, you got to build a fork, which was awesome. Like the TIG welding is just too much to, mm-hmm. it's like, you can barely, barely make a frame, you know, going from like, you know, they advertise never having, you know, you don't have any experience. So, you know, the first week it seemed like was just doing like triangle, uh, test pieces, which mm-hmm. I mean makes as you should, as you should, but, um, there was no time for, for a fork. So, yeah. um, I think everybody who made the, did that class I was like, well, I want to take another class to, to get the, you know, hand, you know, with a hand bender, you know, all the stuff that like, I still do to this day, like I rake each leg individually. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think does, does Anvil make a dual bender like that does two at a time? Well,
0: they did until he retired. Uh, but yeah, that's they, right. He,
1: that's right. Yeah. He
0: was, he was making one and it's, it's beautiful and it's got like, um, I think it's like compound radii or something. So depending cool. on where you start yeah. the bend, That's you'll nice. you'll receive a different radius or whatever. You will impart a different radius depending mm-hmm. on where you begin the bend. And uh, it's got a, It looks pretty slick. Um, it's pretty yeah. pretty cool looking piece of kit. And then also for my tube bender, uh, I wanted to make it as multi purpose as possible. So I've been prototyping. It's a back burner thing. I need to finish it. But I've been prototyping uh, dies so that you can also do two fork blades at a time on mine. Oh, man. And, um... That... Yeah. Yeah. Because, I be mean... So, I'd be so interested in that. Yeah, because it's, it's the most devilish thing. Like,
1: so, you know, in truth, you know, you, you, aim, you aim for a little under, and invariably, by tweaking each side, you know, you kind of ease up to the actual number.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean... it is. It, that was one of the first tools I made myself was just like a, you know, wooden dies and for, yeah, for fork yeah, yeah, yeah. blades, it's, it doesn't, other tubes are really hard to bend generally without wrinkling and kinking, but fork blades, because of the relative wall thickness to diameter, they're not so hard to get a smooth bend. And so I made a wood one and it, it worked and you would do them one at a time and try and do yep. it to a mark or something. And then I realized that like, yep. when you do that, when you preload the bend into it, you can kind of, uh-huh. you can, it's really easy to bend a little bit out of it. <laughs> like it's it's kind of preloaded yeah. in the one direction, so it like it unrakes pretty easy, but you try and avoid that. But inevitably, yeah. I would always they would come out a little bit different or something and I had to do that.
1: Just uh, you know. I mean, that's that's bikes. I mean, that's you do one half of something perfectly and you're like, "Damn it.
2: <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just not
1: going to happen again exactly the same way." Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, trying to trying to aim a little shy. I think like that was the, the, the trick I, I learned was, you know, don't, don't aim for the number. Aim for just, mm-hmm. just in front of it. And you kind of, kind of, you know, shuffle up to it.
0: Yeah. Somewhere. But anyway,
1: Oh, you asked me about UBI. So, um, yeah, that was 2006. Uh, yeah, a series of like kind of bummer jobs, uh, where I, I, you know, I feel like youth, like I didn't really know how to apply you know, apply myself to just looking for the, for a cool or a rewarding job. Um, mm-hmm. And I ended up finding some real duds. And um, yeah, I, I think I, I think I literally like at the triumph of print media. Like I think I saw an ad for UBI in like bicycling magazine and I was like, that looks cool. <laughs> like it was like, literally didn't know it existed. The little, it's like the ad was all text, but I was like, it somehow piqued my interest. Cause I feel like I, I grew up, my dad and my uncle both like are with old um, lug bikes. My dad is like a Paramount junkie.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: he has like three uh, in- including like a freaking pristine I think he has a 65 I know he has a 65 with a 68 track kit um, in orange you know Team Orange with the chrome uh, Nervex lugs and all that. So I feel like I knew about that growing up and that was kind of on my radar and then the idea of like oh well, yeah, I could, yeah I could try to do that. But it was, it was revelatory. Cause I'm like, there's no way I'm like human. Like I, I wasn't born into like an Italian family who's been doing this for generations. I'm like, there's no way, there's no way. And then, you know, you go to UBA, you're like, Holy shit. This is kind of like doable. Uh, you know, I feel like it's the, it's a double-edged sword. Cause you're like, it's intoxicating. Cause you're like, I'm doing it. But then you realize doing it is in quotes. Cause you're like, sure. You're joining things together, but you're like, <laughs> years away from like being any good at it but uh-huh. it still was like it wasn't total garbage like i still have my first you know i haven't managed to break it mm-hmm. uh the first bike so i'm like you can definitely go out of that that program uh with something that's safe and rideable uh yeah. not necessarily intolerance <laughs> anyone's tolerance
2: <laughs> uh-huh. visual
1: tolerance but um yeah you know, it's not gonna kill you so um but anyway yeah so that was kind of like Eye-opening, and then and then um, oh, and I think it was that coupled with the fact that I knew coming back, I'd applied to seven. I'd been really trying hard to get in at, at um, IndieFab because they were like right behind my house where I lived at the time.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and I always thought those guys were pretty cool. Uh, I still think they're pretty cool, but um, they they were just a lot smaller of a company. And seven was farther down the road in Watertown, and but they were hiring. Uh, and I was like, oh, this will be great because I don't really know anyone in the industry like I didn't grow up like racing per se. Like I rode all the time, but like just, yeah. Yeah. You know. So, uh, you know, I didn't have like inroads. So I'm like, Oh, I'll work at seven. And which, and it was, I was like the best thing I think I ever did. Cause I met so many. I met Mike Flanagan, Mike Salvatore, uh, Ian, uh, Marty, he does Geekath, Ian, who did, um, uh, Icarus. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like a, a Matt Budd. There was like a, a real fur. I don't think Matt Budd worked at seven, but he was in that world. Um, yeah, so like there's a ton of people who were like all in their mid twenties. Either they took a class, or I think Mike took, a, or uh, Marty took a class with Mike. Flanagan. like we we're all kind of like had that excitement, you know. So mm-hmm. it's like that that seven kind of introduced me to all those people and then various combinations of like sharing shop space. I shared shop space with Marty in Austin, like a shed. It was like there were rats. It was uh, there was like a rat fight in the shop one. Evening, and we came back to this kind of bloodbath, and we're like, "Oh my god!" This wow, is, you know, it was terrifying, but also like, like this is exactly what I want to be doing in my mid twenties. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I want there to be blood on the wall. Um, <laughs> so it was like it was kind of cool. I'm like we're all living, uh, you know, at the time, uh, Union Square in Central was like a really affordable, still kind of dumpy, not dangerous anymore, but um, you know, it wasn't quite the there were there wasn't like an axe bar, you know. Mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever the, the limits test for, uh, super hip. Uh, you know, there was just, there were just axes, not an axe bar, just <laughs> random <laughs> axes. There. Um, but yeah, I think some of the people who I worked at at seven worked at Merlin when Union square was like super rough and they, they described tales of like, you know, it was like a tricky place to like ride a nice bike around in, like mm-hmm. uh, in the like nineties. Um,
0: but so yeah. uh, anyway, so yeah. when I went to visit you in the summer of 2010 and I saw your shop space that you were sharing with Ian Sutton that was in Union Union Square it was called.
1: Yeah, that was in Union. So um I'd moved out of Marty's place um uh to 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 shack up with Ian um who was literally living there. It's so, like it was this amazing it was a co-working space. It was kind of built out without pulling any permits it was like super <laughs> you know it was like it was great it was like high times and green grass we were like yeah we're a frame building shop and you know like the walls had cracks in it you could see out of the train went right by it. and uh ended up for a while living there with a, a jardine parrot i was like you can't write this stuff this is so good um although the parrot it turned out it formed a strong bond with him and just whenever he would leave it would like shriek out it for its you know yeah it's father figure or whatever. Um and that became super old. Uh super quick. They're <laughs> um,
0: like trying still. to sand fillets and there's a there's a bird <laughs> just carrying on there.
1: Yeah. And I'm yeah, also kind of like, mm, you know, we didn't have the best ventilation system. I'm like, is this good for the bird? I'm like not like is this good for me? I'm like, whatever. I'm invincible. I don't I'm not I'm not affected by poison. Uh <laughs> but I'm like worried about the bird. Um you know, we, yeah. our ventilation system was just like, "Well, we'll breathe near the window," um, <laughs> type of thing. Uh, so
0: that building, though, that uh, the the Union Square one, that was um, that was where Merlin had been making some of the first like titanium bikes, uh, like a couple yeah. decades earlier. Totally
1: coincidentally, uh, in the basement of that very building, um, yeah, there's old pictures uh, that someone uh, in Fat City uh, was. That, I think that building is gone. I know that building's gone, but there's some pictures of that facility It was right across the the little square
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, so yeah, that was like that was like where new england's custom or yeah high end frame building anyway and, and
0: I, did Merlin have any custom or were they I think they were mm-hmm. stock sizes that was a uh, Gary Helfrich. was at Merlin yeah
1: yeah i Perfect. i don 't know Gary personally, but he 's like a a big looming figure, yeah the,
0: yeah, Gary is a hoot. I would like to have him on the show because i 've met him. Oh, yeah. I met him at Philly a couple of years ago, and I, uh, mm-hmm. I've been to a seminar or two of his. And he is like, he's one of the most like. Whenever he's he's in the room and he's talking about something, it's like it doesn't matter what the subject is. It's always just inter- it's always interesting the way that he yeah. tells whatever story or what. He's, he's a hoot. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah,
1: that'd be that'd be cool. I I would like to listen to that. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I got I got started working at Seven Cycles and and uh, ended up really enjoying the work and. Uh, right when I signed on, I started the finisher, just like polishing tubes, doing, you know, alignment checks. Um, I feel like that really kind of made slash ruins my, like, I, I try to hold all my bikes to seven tolerance, which is like super difficult because it's, it's tight. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and titanium is, 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 is a weird material to work with because you can kind of cold set it a little bit more than steel because hmm. it's, it's a little springier. Um, so anyway, get getting used to like holding holding the bike, you know, getting it from the welders and bringing it into tolerance and machining and chasing threads and all that. Um, but they started up a. This is before I signed on. They had a kind of a design for a full carbon custom carbon bike,
2: mm-hmm. um, and
1: they hadn't built any. So I kind of like was pretty. You know, as the newest employee, I'm like, oh, this is something good I can you know get get involved and get my hands on. Uh, and I ended up like no one wanted to touch it because it was like super dusty and smelly like you know you machine the car with an abrasive cutter and it just smells like burnt plastic which is kind of repulsive and yeah no one wanted to touch it with a 10-foot pole and i'm like oh ah so i had like a uh, you know like a, i kept a set of clothes at seven and it just it looked like a coal miner um you know <laughs> so i i, I was in that and i built a couple hundred of those bikes which i think they were they were they ultimately they were really nice riding bikes um there were some paint issues that dogged them for, um, forever, uh, little cracks would form at the seams and, and, um, we could never break. We built our own fatigue tester, uh, to kind of validate them. And we could never break it on the machine. Um, and you know, we never saw them break in the field, but they would develop these little hairline cracks and you can't really tell someone that, you know, Oh, just ignore it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so anyway, these bikes they were really, I still have one. Um, I ride it, I ride all the time. Um, and yeah, it's a really, they, they handle really nicely and they're light. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the, the program kind of was, was doomed and I, I got back into just doing, um, high carbon.
0: So that uh, was like a tube to tube carbon fiber where you would, you would like wrap, uh, wrap around the joints with like, uh, the, I don't know the, I really don't know carbon process that well, but it was tube to tube.
1: Yeah, we did a little bit of everything. Uh, so the, so the tubes were designed such that they would kind of interlock with one another you would you, there were parts where you could cut them to length and and set the angles that you, you really could do full custom um, and then they would you epoxy them together uh, and then you kind of lash them with um, you, you know you get this long spool of single toe carbon and you'd soak that in epoxy and you you know you'd glove up and kind of like lash it kind of like a calfee, and then you'd finish it you know like a fillet which was also kind of a, a, a treat for me because I'm like you get to make these fillets and and as smelly and dusty as it was, like it sanded so much quicker mm-hmm. than uh, brass. <laughs> so you'd be able to like really just knock these Phillips out super quick, and then you go to do a metal bike, and you're like, oh god, this what is fighting me? It's like, oh right, it's it's metal, not not plastic.
2: Um,
1: but so yeah, the, after a lot of work, it was kind of like it reminded me of what or didn't remind me because I'd never done it, but it made me think of what boat building, uh, you know, firewood hmm. boat you know, kind of like smoothing stuff out and blending yeah. stuff and using, we use a little bit of Bondo or, or products like that to kind of, you know, fill in voids and stuff. So, um, it kind of, it was fun. I, it just, we, each one took too long and, and I don't, I don't know if any, any money was made on that endeavor, but, yeah, um, it was kind of an interesting project. Uh, yeah. And yeah, if you ever see one they're they're, they're like hen's teeth, they're out there, but like most people ended up trading them in for, uh, like carbon bikes. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, those are cool too.
0: So. so you so you're interested in frame building, you go out to Ashland, Oregon, you take two different UBI classes, and then you get this job at seven. When was it yeah. that, when was it after like it was seven first and then a little while later you got your own shop space going too?
1: Oh yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. So it's like it seems kind of like oh and then you immediately started doing things that weren't yeah so um almost immediately after meeting Marty and Ian, um we kind of we were being sneaky about it but we're like we were like okay we want to build our own frames we don't know if it's like a conflict of interest not that we were like taking any of Seven's mini. like we were like i was still making them all with a axon file like scribing you know using the lug to scribe the the coat like I, we were low-teching it for sure and like you know we'd make what four bikes a year. So like we certainly weren't stealing any market share for mm-hmm. seven, but we still like we're like, ah, I don't know if it's above board. So we had this whole code language of like, Yes, will you be going to the the bungalow today? You know, like like to talk at lunch about like if we're going to the other shop to so so yeah, we would work eight hour days, production days and then ride over and work like three more hours in our shop, our shared shop, Ian Marty and I, uh and then and then throw in. we again like great thing to do when you're 25 and you're like got just energy for days you know yeah so so yeah so i immediately started building like these are the frames like i built a frame for my wife or at the time girlfriend and like you know built a frame for every single person in my family and like you know the the frames you basically give away uh and and you're like test this out and and you know if it starts creaking (laughs) you know don't uh but none of them ever broke or anything, but like, you know, you're like, these yeah. are the first frames I'm, I'm going to make. And like, if you're willing to, to take a risk on me, like I'll give it to you for the cost of tube and paint, which at the time, God. Uh, so I was going down to circle a for paint. They did at the time paint for other builders. Mm-hmm. And that was like such an awesome, like those guys, Chris and, and, uh, and Brian, uh, and later Jay, uh, were just like the nicest humans in the world. Like, to, I mean, to, like they've been doing it for not 10 years at a time, but quite a few years. And, you know, we hear these, these, you know, totally green kids from Boston coming down. Like we would ride our bikes with the frames on our backpacks, like take the train down, you know, mm-hmm. show up at the shop and just like hang out all day. You know, they'd <laughs> make coffee and like, you know, we'd talk shop. It was like, they were super nice. Um, and they would pay our bikes for like, I think trainer bucks or like something crazy. Like, you know, you look back and you're like, you get a good paint job now and you, you can't do it for like less than 800 or something. Yeah. Um, I, I remember yeah, they,
0: looking at their prices when I was new to frame building and being like, yeah, seeing something like it started at 300 and being like, what? <laughs> and yeah. It seemed like a lot <laughs> to me because I had no oh, perspective. Oh, yeah, at the time, yeah. But I think I emailed yeah. Chris Bull back in like 2010 after I finished my class thinking maybe I'd get him to paint it. And then I was like, no, oh, no. I was thinking more like, 50 bucks or you know like some stupid thing like yeah, i just yeah. had no perspective about yeah. what stuff costs and so um yeah. it's funny now to think yeah like uh you know good paintwork costs a lot of money and for for good reason yeah. it should yeah no no
1: no i i i'm not um it's not a complaint it's just it was just funny to look back and be like mm-hmm. you know those were different different times i mean you look back at some of the like uh richard saxo often posts like old ads that you know he ran back in the 80s and like you just look at the cost of custom yeah. frames and it doesn't I'm like inflation you know it just it doesn't seem to make sense like the price just wasn't as expensive back then and it was just as well made like it, it's it's yeah it's one of those things i'm like i don't know how that worked <laughs> um but yeah because it, it certainly is is not scaled with every other thing out there in the world but
0: yeah um Well, I feel like uh, we're covering a little bit of your backstory. I want to talk a little bit about how, like, when I was new to frame building, uh, you know, Ian Sutton, who you were good friends with for a long time, who did Icarus Cycles, he, uh, uh, he, his bikes and like his website were something that I think he was the first frame builder that I ever like stumbled upon on the internet, and Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, this is a thing and this would have been like you know 2009 2010 and i'm like this is gorgeous and these are beautiful and then pretty quickly i found your work through his and so i was aware of that and so i was following uh the two of y- you know both of your work uh from the very beginning which is funny because at the time you guys i imagine felt like you know you were you know, no big deal or something, or you're just starting to figure it out oh, yourself. yeah, it's
2: just starting, yeah. Probably,
0: yeah. but uh, I don't know. I looked at your guys' work, and I'm like, this is amazing. This is so cool. And then I saw you guys uh, at your shop, and, you know, like, what a cool thing to be, like, young and to be sharing a shop with a, you know, like a freaking parrot. And a, and a, you guys yeah. had a futon, oh. and you know, you'd, like, hang yeah. out and make cool bikes. And uh, I thought that was so cool. And one of the things I thought you guys did really well Or no, not really well. One of the things that you guys did that I was really interested in, you know, because you guys made a lot of really cool and interesting bikes, and they would have some some kooks and quirks. But then there was you need to tell the story of like the time trial bikes because those ones that was right around the time that I came to visit you guys. I think Ian had finished his, and yours was to be finished uh, in like a couple months. And those bikes were to me you know, like, over the years, I found more of, like, an interest in, like, a machine oriented process, and TIG welding, and mm-hmm, pretty straightforward mm-hmm. diamond frames, but man, in yep. the beginning, I was completely tickled with the idea of making, like, weird and oh whimsical bikes that were not necessarily practical at all, but that were just really cool, and that's what those yeah. were to me.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, those bikes were borderline unrideable. Uh, for me, just, I, I mean, making, a, like, a low pro, so I was obsessed with, um, funny bikes. Um, I had a, a, Pinarello, uh, pro logo or whatever the, you know, um, 650 C front 700 re- rear, uh, and Ian had a Fuji, you know, time trial. So like, we were like obsessed with these weird freak bikes. Um, and I think, I don't know how rapid, like, I think there was always a, I was glad that I did lugs or I, I focus on mugs and me, and focus on phillips because it it kept us competitive but it wasn't too much like well i'm gonna make a, a better Philip than you it was more like i'm gonna do my thing well and you can do your thing well and like we can both coexist
2: mm-hmm. um
1: but i, I think that the, there must have been like a little bit of need to compete and we're like yeah I, at this point i forget whose idea it was i i think i'd always wanted to make one and then it was kind of like let's each make this concept bike. And I feel like we were getting ready for our first Philly show, which was 10 years ago. Um, And like we, I had it in my head that like a a show bike is not, it's like almost doesn't have to be practical at all. It it should showcase like, you know, your, your uh, joinery. Like, and I still, I look at that bike. I still have it in my shop. And it's like the, the Phillips on that bike look really good. And like, it was all hand machine, like all filed, And like, I made my own mono stay with fork blades, you know, like (laughs) weird choices. I had a pair of GP, is it GP Wilson? Um, GB Wilson, GP Wilson, the, the really slender, um, stainless dropouts, um, super thin, super strong. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: and just, yeah, like a totally outlandish paint job, like stripes with fades inside the stripes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think I think the idea was like, okay, let's just, you know, let's showcase what is pot oh, and I got the tubes I think the whole I okay, now I'm remembering how it all started. It was Arnie Mastawi who in a windowless basement under bicycle bills in Austin, like he would like crank call people. He was like this this eccentric frame builder, um, and he invited me down to his basement lair and like he's like, I got some tubes and you, there were these Vitus um airfoil shaped tubes and he had the lugged bottom bracket. And in hindsight, what I think he gave me was three seat tubes for that in uh, a lug shell. And I'm like, Oh, it's a complete tube. Set. <laughs> um, like, I th- Like knowing what I know now, I'm like, those are not, you know, that wasn't quite right, but I'm like, okay, they fit in the lug and, you know, I'm going to make a bike around this. And I think that that was like the, that was the, the precipitating thing. So maybe we've been talking about funny bikes and like we had our, our funny bikes. And like, I got this lug that I'm like, ah, oh, this is a show bike. And then, and then Ian's like, well, I got to do a show. Bike. Oh, and I think Ian also, uh, he trained with Yamaguchi. And like, you look at some of those designs and like that guy was pushing the envelope in a way that like did make sense for like Olympic riders um, and like, you know, super high caliber athletes. So I think Ian was inspired by that. I was inspired by kind of like the more Italian, you know, I forget the, there was a brand that had a 650 front with a level top tube and then a a strut that went up to the seat tube. Whoa. Um, and yeah, so I was like, that's cool. Like it's like the top tube is not reverse sloping. It's kind of like just really, really low. Um, so I'm like, Oh man, I'll try something with that. Um, and yeah, using a fork bender to bend the, the, I forget what I used for a top tube. It was like less than half inch. Uh, it was two tubes on top of one another. Yeah, like just, you know, you're trying to be different or creative for creativity's sake. And you end up making something that's kind of fun. And it's definitely funny. Like, to me, I'm like, that bike makes me smile. Even though like I tried to ride this, the, the handlebars are like 10 feet below the seat. Like, I, I just am not that level of athlete to, like, uh-huh. I, yeah, I'm like, it rides. Like, it, it definitely, I actually lent it to someone who, like, was that flexible. And, like, they were like, yeah, this bike's great. Um, cause you know, you make it hand, like I, I designed it to handle pretty neutral. Cause I'm like, you know, you, in that position, like you're not going to be able to have too much steering input. Um, cause you're so, or in my case, you're so like awkwardly folded in half. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said it rode, actually rode pretty nicely. Um, but, uh, yeah, for me, it was like, I, I, it was just something to kind of like enjoy, um, for its own sake. Oh, and oh, someone at uh, there was a, a bike studio open, open bicycles in in uh, in uni which is his own can of worms but at the time everyone was super excited about it and uh the proprietor had a set of Ace ax uh parts like not a full group but like a derailleur an indexed the first indexed system where the indexing was done at the derailleur um like to me and to me i'm like that's fast six speed indexed where the shifter is just a you know a, a a lever and there's this kind of weird step piece inside the derailleur and it kind of worked. And I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> um, it worked so much worse than any, like any index system that came afterwards. <laughs> I think it probably like derailed indexing for like a decade. Cause people were like, dude, indexing sucks. <laughs> um, but for me, I'm like, what is, I, I, Oh, okay. So, and also like, I had a Vitus that I inherited from my uncle and like, I, I was a little bit obsessed with these cycling, evolutionary dead ends um where like the vitus thing of the like before they weld like for some reason they made bonded aluminum frames for years of it was like more or less standard diameter tubing which is such a weird like they were so close to like because like you, you could make a case for like a high performance oversized welded aluminum frame like a klein you know uh, mm-hmm. back in the day um but these were like really willowy bikes that were super flexy and they would crack and like they would come unbonded. It was like the weirdest choice to be like, no, this is a good idea. And you know, it never caught on because like it was not a good, (laughs) (laughs) but I I was upset that bite is like, I love that bite. Mine is cracked. Like as they all inevitably do, like, uh, around there's an internal, you Mm -hmm. know, like routing and it just has a little hairline crack coming out of it. So I'm like, every time I ride, I'm like, "Mm, this would probably be the last time I ride this bike with like visible cracks uh you know that are growing um but uh, yeah so in that and like the time trial bikes i think they were there must have been some uci ban on on funny bikes because like no one uh not even triathletes use them anymore mm-hmm. um so but anyway like those dead ends were were very interesting to me um and yeah they were all in this kind of like you know no one was making any money yet because we were just getting started so we're like well we got to do something attention-grabbing we also brought, we commissioned an oil painting. <laughs> like, <laughs> We're like, this is, you know, we're like, we have to get attention. We have to be, you know, we do something eye catching. So he came with his with this oil. I think I traded a fork. I made a fork for this artist who was in the co-working space. And we like posed for this oil painting. And he like painted this beautiful painting. Uh, of, of Ian, who's like w- the winged Icarus, like dashed on the rocks and like, I'm in a suit of armor coming to his, his aid, or maybe I vanquished him. It's like, it's unclear from the painting. Um, but it's like a very compelling work of art. I have it in my shop now. Ian is saying that, and I think that he has a point, it, it's time for me to, you know, cause it wasn't necessarily mine to keep. I ended up keeping it cause he moved out of town, but like, he's like, maybe he'll mail that down to me and I can have it for, <laughs> years. um, which would be pretty funny to just like not tell him and just like he gets a big box in the mail. It's like yeah. the oil, the oil painting. Um, so yeah. So I, yeah, it's like when you're green and, and like, I don't know, I, I didn't have the adapt. It felt a little audacious to put my name on the down tube having built like only a handful of frames. So like the Royal H thing was like, like sort of in that kind of family of decisions where, you know, this is like going to rely on, you know, it's not going to rely on the name. It's going to rely on the, on the, the joinery and the, the visual impact and punch and also the ride quality, like to, to, to build itself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and ultimately I ended up doing like years later. Um, I, I have a Hollingsworth kind of line. I have, I'm I'm still working on the marketing end mm-hmm. of it. Like that's not my forte, but like, you know, where it is like, I, I put Hollingsworth on the down tube and it's like, um, I collaborate with my uncle. He cut the lugs. He's a, a woodworker. Um, and then, you know, like, this very traditional, traditional frame building, kind of in the British style with, like, super ornate, fancy lugs.
0: You know? Yeah. So, yeah, he's yeah. always at the Philly Bike Expo, and, and he'll be there this year.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's, like, another awesome thing about it, too. Like, Uncle Pete and, like, my parents, like, and my sister, like, super supportive, like, family, like, riding the first couple – Likes i made and like uncle pete was like always super super into um coming up with designs he designs um some of the graphics uh that i use now um and he's like not a graphic designer he just like drew some cool stuff
2: mm-hmm. and i was
1: like this is amazing uh so yeah so like it, having a supportive family is like pretty uh was pretty often definitely critical to like you know they would all come down booth and like you know um my mom would like come in her like royal age jersey and like definitely like I, I swear to god she made some sales at that show because she's like you know like uh, no one can can you know hype you up like a like a mom yeah <laughs> so it's like <laughs> definitely awesome uh having her in the booth um so and yeah my sister has a bike out in in uh boulder and like get you know gets a lot of attention out there so yeah um yeah
0: um what else do i got on the list here uh I mean, I guess I wanted to bring up the the whole competing time trial bikes thing because I just thought it was so cool, mm-hmm. like the novelty of making stuff uh, that was totally out there, and I just thought those bikes were both uh, very distinct and very beautiful, and they're like, yeah, in their own way. Like you had the you had the. The color wheel disc wheel on the back or whatever
1: so the disc wheel uh the disc wheel uh from that philly show was uh an awesome collaboration um between my sister and uh and her partner at the time uh robbie Holb, who is a super talented painter um just got a makerspace background and uh and and some furniture work um and they really they took a very scientific approach to what i was thinking would be like uh you know they had fun with it too but it was um they They were pretty scientific about calibrating this um, induced optics uh, disc wheel such that um, the series of black and white lines could uh, at different speeds that were calibrated for actual riding scenarios could could um, be uh, inferred by the human eyes color for
0: people who who don 't know if you ever take like a two d design art class you 'll do a spinning wheel as a common project where it 's like a circle of white paper and then you do some areas you black out with like a Sharpie or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you spin it, the different segments, uh, depending on its RPM will create the sensation of color in your eyes or whatever. You'll see, you'll see what appears to be color, even though it's just black and white because of the, the frequency of the wavelengths and because the oscillation from black to white. And it's a pretty fun and trippy effect. And so you took that, that principle or that phenomena And then you had, yeah, your sister paint a design, which sitting still looks really cool uh, and is very, very cool on the disc wheel. But then when you're time trialing, when you're making them sweet records and busting ass, it really looks Mm -hmm. cool.
1: Yeah, and, like, so, yeah, like, the design, like, it almost looks like, like, southwestern, um, like, uh, pottery, you know, when it's sitting still. Um, But then Janet did, like, did her homework. Like she definitely rigged up some test pieces of cardboard to like a, like a DeWalt drill to like calibrate the spacing. Cause like you wanted it to change colors at like relevant speeds. So the idea was, and it depends on what kind of light you do it under, like the frequency of fluorescent light versus incandescent versus sunlight. Um, but yeah, she designed it to like hit certain colors at certain speeds. So you could just theoretically tell how fast you're going based on the color of the disc which is just, like to me i'm like it's like also kind of strangely practical um you know like um and we had this whole like idea of like shooting like we never ended up doing this was just like a over beers talk we like we could have some kind of like little video where it was like optical doping and it was banned cuz it would like induce seizures in like competitors you know like That's just, funny. like so yeah so it was like just like a super fun thing and i'm like yeah the the, the idea of like you know if you're a drummer in the band like i imagine that must be very fun to be like yeah yeah, to i'm going to make some like some cool runes on my on my double kick drum yeah um you know and like yeah that like sets the tone of what the band's all about so yeah um, i love so, you know, that to, yeah. I-,
0: I love that stuff about um it could be branding or it could be more than just like you know logos and stuff but like things where you have an opportunity like, you know, you're making bikes and a bike is something you can ride and it can be custom fitted and there's joinery and there's all these things. But then you have this other opportunity, you know, like, Oh, like what are we going to do for the visuals on the disc? And it's like you Mm -hmm. do whatever Mm -hmm. you want. I mean, it's pretty literally just like a canvas there. And then, and then what you do there suggests something about the mentality and the spirit of what was going on with everything else. So if you make the bike, and now, someone who's you know looking at the bike or riding the bike, maybe they don't weld or they don't know much about the the design of the bike frame, but they can see what you did with the graphics or or whatever else, and it suggests to them something about what you're trying to do and I just think that's so cool, like the way that you can convey a spirit of something uh in in like the dominant form of what it is, but also in like the details mm-hmm. of other things I think that's a lot of fun yeah, yeah.
1: no it, it definitely like that level of I mean, and that's why I try to do with all the show bikes. I mean, I, to me, I kind of end up treating every bike like a show bike. Um, but specifically on those early show bikes, it was like, yeah, that that is that you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like it was trying to encapsulate every, like a fractal, like every level that you're on is kind of indicative of the vibe of the whole picture. Um, but
0: yeah, yeah. Now, when I had Bina Balinki on the show uh she was pointing out how you i mean other than like her dad uh you you are like the exhibitor who's been at every philly yeah. bike expo and certainly you know i've seen you there every time i've gone and um it's a uh, it's a great show i love it i'm always trying to do some some promo and, and remind people that they should sign up and plan to yeah. go and so anyway uh uh what, what do you got going on this year this
1: year, nothing, <laughs> nothing like the, the concept bike. These are both, uh, these are both going to be real, you know, daily drivers as it were. Um, but I'm doing a, uh, so I'm, I'm going to bring the Nighthawk, which is a, a bike I'm working on with my retailer, uh, Carl at True Cyclery, um, which is a super modern. It's all the, all the, um, all the ticks for like, uh, uh, what's, what's on point right now. So it's got a, It'll have three axles, flat mounts, uh, tapered steer, uh, double oversized tubing. It'll be mostly filleted. Uh, it'll have some lug work um, and sleeving uh, to, to reinforce it. Um, S-bend stays. Um, so it'll be totally contemporary. Uh, I think it's got a little bit of top tube slope even. Um, it'll be kind of matte black with gloss decals, you know, kind of spelt and, and nighthawk
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so that would be like the very, very modern, uh, road bike. Uh, and then uh, this is, I guess this is kind of like, uh, the, the, the concept, like I'm going to build a, 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 throwback road bike that I really wanted to build since I started. And it's kind of shocking that I haven't had the chance to, wow. um, but it'll be a bike that to me, like, it'll be the last, moment of steel like uh there was a a period of time when eddie Merckx lugged bikes they would they still had down tube Mm brazons but they had a loop cable guide brazed onto the head tube because everyone was using sti uh you know uh shimano uh shifters or or campy stuff ergo whatever um so like that to me is like those are the bikes that i immediately as a as a kid was like these are the coolest bikes that mm-hmm. like people were still doing competitive racing on lug steel
0: yeah um this and, is and like so the, be, the motorola or the 711 yeah, team it, bikes it, from the early 90s
1: yeah and the Colloy i think team bikes had had that um yeah like right right when you know you'd still have a lugged bike for para Bay, but it would have like a rock shock suspension fork you know <laughs> uh, with a little yeah. caliper on it like you're like the idea of leaving lug steel was too it's really funny to think about it now, like it's really weird to go to the lengths of like putting a suspension fork on a lug steel bike, and you'd probably had to like change the angles quite a bit because that's actually must have been crazy yeah um but like no, no, it's got to be lug steel, so like the idea of like well, why not do a tig welded bike like that would have been like sacrilege like to me that's the era like, it's a very specific moment of like a couple seasons of racing, but I'm like that is what I've always that to me, that's like the high water mark and, and people stopped exploring what lug steel could do. Cause all these other, like at that moment uh, or after that moment, rather um, you know, TIG welding, aluminum, titanium, carbon, all kind of like yeah. drowned out steel yep. as a competitive.
0: Uh, you know, somebody was telling me, uh, my friend Jeff was telling me that he heard part of the history of like how things changed through the nineties. And so this is a second here story I'm hearing from him. I don't know if I'm telling this right. He was saying that it was like the aerospace industry kind of, there was no money in it for a period in the nineties. <laughs> and so you had all yeah. these aerospace guys who started mountain bike companies like Yeti and, and a bunch yeah, of others. Yeah. And, um and then like that was this huge influx of like brilliant and talented, like fabricators mm-hmm. and engineers entering the bike world And that, that was what brought in, especially in the mountain bike world, like lots of rapid technol like technological and process change that you hadn't seen in previous decades. And then, you know, my friend Jeff was sort of lamenting that like, it's been stagnant for a while since then, but (laughs) uh, it's, it's interesting to me to think about that in terms of bikes, because it's weird how long we hung on to like lugged steel and then then all of a sudden it was just kind of like, it was gone from, from racing and stuff, you know, from, from from the yeah. sort of uh, the forefront.
1: Yeah, it was like a sea change. Yeah. Um, so for for me, like that's a bike I've always wanted to to make. It'll have, you know, um, internal uh, routing. It'll have, you know, this is the same kind of thing I described. Like it'll have down to bosses, but like a loop guide for for, um, <laughs> you know, for brifters. That's uh, so cool. So, yeah. So it's like it, to me like, that'll be a very satisfying. It'll be you know for sale, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna make it in my size, so if it doesn't, uh you know, if it doesn't leave the the show floor, uh I'll I'll get to maybe take that and add that to my stable.
0: <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> always, it's reminding me now that I have a sweet spot for that era of bikes for sure. There was a blog that I or a, you no, know, I don't know if it's a Tumblr. There was a blog that I found like about ten years ago now or eight years ago or something, and it was called Tears for Gears did you ever oh, see that yeah
2: yeah yeah yeah. So he'd that. like, totally, like scan all totally. these
0: old like uh mavic or mavic uh and, mm-hmm, and, and like different mm-hmm. um these different catalogs from that era of all the stuff and like the oh, the yeah. colors and the designs and the bikes and everything i was so just good. like i just had such a sweet spot for that stuff or like the the campy delta brakes
1: yeah oh my ah, god oh, so good,
0: man yeah, I, a delta brake on a lug bike to me that's just that's just heaven. <laughs> I love it. I have no idea I if they work good perfect. at all. I've never ridden one, but uh, they're just I think, beautiful. I think they
1: get a they get a bad rap. I think a lot of people, a lot of mechanics are like, yeah, they're fussy, but like if you dial them in, they're brakes. They work great. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs>
1: I think they required a special Allen key. I don't know. Like that's the kind of shit that like would just it would sour me if like oh, these campy things require like a three and a half or something. That's like, oh, of course they do. Like why couldn't you make it three? You know, mm-hmm. is, does, does it need to be three and a half? Like, is this just being, and like, I think the, I've seen the inside of them. Like the, you have to trim the cable just, just so. So oh, I, I get it. the feeling that they're, they're kind of, they're kind of fussy, but, um, but yeah, the, um, we are talking about vintage uh, stuff. There's a book, uh, that I keep, I've, I've always kept it on my desk, um, called the high tech bicycle.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it, I think it was published in like 1978 or 79. Um, it is to me, it's like the lookbook of like what I kind of consider to be, wow. it, it kind of breaks it down by region. So it's like Italian, like Italian makers of note, you know, uh, French makers of note. Uh, and then it's like the American makers are like, well, some American builders are st-. I think it's like, it has a little nod to Richard. Sacks, like this is a promising young. Builder. <laughs> um, and it's like before his font, it was like the early, early ones were um, I think, Richard was in all caps, and Sachs was, lo- or yeah. maybe vice versa. Like the, the very early, um, early logos, and it was kind of funny that, like, you know, Italian master, Italian master, Italian master. You know, British giants. You know, the the Ti Raleigh, and it's like, eh, in America, people are starting to do some interesting things. Um, <laughs> But it was all like, you know, I think it had like a yeah, those bonded frames were like this looks promising. Um, you know, the lightest production frame. And it's like four and a half pounds. It's like, well, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but to me, I'm like the, just the aesthetics of that book and like the way they're photographed. And like, it's just, it's just so cool. And that, so that'll be the, the, sorry, to make a long story longer, that's, that's the counterpoint to the modern road bike. It'll be this kind of like, and I think that's an interesting thing too. Like, it's not like my classic is different than like anyone else's classic to me. Like the nineties lug stuff is very interesting, but like, that's just because, you know, some combination of like that's when I became aware of bikes, or like I was watching the Tour de France then for the first time, or like it's totally different than someone else's who like, oh, I love the ornate Hetchen style stuff with non-aero mm-hmm. brake, you know, routing. Like to me, like that is revolting. Um, <laughs> I'll do it, you know, whatever. But like, you know, it just doesn't—it doesn't sing to me like the way uh, you know that early, you know, Brifter a stuff, even with the cables coming out the side, yeah. like. It just like that stuff to me is so cool because like that's when i was like 14 15 like that's what i was lusting after
2: mm-hmm.
1: um so and i think that's interesting too like it's it's fun to be like this is my specific thing but as a custom builder like i'm happy to build your specific thing because i get how into it you know i, I say it's revolting, but like i totally respect that someone's like no that's the era that i grew up yeah. in. and like yep. you know I'll, I'll uh i'll you know if, if it's a compelling story i'm like i'll get over my my aversion Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and and I'm happy to build. I've, I've built some weird bikes with like super retro parts. But, you know, sometimes it's just a. Uh, I built a bike for my dad. He had a uh, a rod shifter. A Whoa. Simple, simplex rod shifter. And that was all he had. His like Uncle Pete gave it to him um as a as a fiftieth birthday present, and he had it on a shelf for like years. And then he's like, "Let's build a bike around this." I'm like, <laughs> "Yes, let's do that." Um and it actually shifts really well. Uh, you just have to kind of get to it, which is the tricky part,
0: Mm -hmm. but, um, it, it definitely shifts cleanly. The, the shift, uh, the lever itself is like on the seat tube somewhere.
1: Yeah. So it's just, it's just a clamp with like a long handle, uh, and a little knurled, you know, end. so you reach down to the, you know, seat tube and, uh, and you just, just push it in or out <laughs> it's like the simplest thing oh and i braised little stainless stops on the tube um you know and there's a little a little grub screw that like you can set the limits you know mm-hmm. uh, so it literally just hits the, that grub screw will hit the seat tube um and that's the limit of your throw um and we built it up on a kind of retro style like real close uh half step gearing so like the the two chain rings like you really they're only i forget how far apart there but it's it's not the thirty four fifty or uh thirty nine, fifty four or 53 whatever mm-hmm. the normal one is so it's it's you know it's not it's not moving and and the of course the straight block and the uh, straight block four speed in the back so you know it's, it's not taking up a ton of chain
0: slack mm-hmm. um
1: but it did work really well
0: so. that's so cool i think yeah. that stuff is really interesting like the um you know just old outmoded stuff is kind of fun i remember you made uh you you would make a lot of like fixed gears and single speed bikes and stuff and Ah, i remember you made some uh some bikes with like the bendix uh the coaster brake two speed yeah Yeah, those Mm. are cool to see i don't know i I think all that stuff is fun i mean um you know there's all different Mm. kinds of of bikes and bike building and bike culture and uh I'm maybe not as much in tune with some of that same stuff that got me interested like 10 years ago, but, uh, man, that it still scratches an itch for me to like think about some of that stuff and to talk about some of that stuff. Cause it's like, I don't know. I just, I love the, the, like the, the new and interesting ideas of yesteryear or something. Uh,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like the, yeah, the two speed was like the automatic, you know, the automatic gear, or drivetrain, you know, and Mm -hmm. like, at what era was that like really something people were like, yes, I don't want to have to ever think about shifting. I just want to, you know, when I activate my coaster brake, it'll automatically downshift. Um, That was the other, like I built up the bike with that. um, So it's a coaster brake and a half a turn back activates, you know, the coaster brake and then a quarter turn back just toggles it between one of two speeds. Um, So theoretically, if you're in the, the, you know, cruising gear and you go to brake, it'll shift down so that you're in a nice starting gear, mm-hmm. um, in theory. And then, you know, you, I built it up and was riding around Boston where you're starting and stopping all the time, like in traffic. Mm-hmm. And every time you hit the brakes, you shift. And it's like, it turns out to be like the worst, like the <laughs> most annoying. Cause you have to then quarter turn back. Cause you're like,
0: you know, yeah, you're already get... in low gear and then now you're in high yeah. gear starting from a stop.
1: Yeah. So yeah. it, it, it ended up in, in practice like being absolutely horrible. But, you know, it still was a cool. And I think uh, it was one of the things where like I, I kind of was was uh, kicking myself because right after I built that bike, I think uh, Sturmy Archer, whatever conglomerate owns the name Sturmy Archer now, came, like reintroduced a two speed kickback um, hub. Uh, and I was like, ah. Damn it. So, you know, so the Bendix wasn't as novel, you know, mm-hmm. this was an, a Bendix from the, you know, whenever it's the, f- I don't even, I don't, I don't know the history of, of that stuff, but it, it was long enough ago that it had a steel hub body and Yeah, it was heavy. <laughs> uh, it was like a really heavy, heavy hub. Um, I think the Sturmies have aluminum bodies now,
0: but mm-hmm. So tell me about this. I didn't realize this until talking to you today, which is that you said you took, at UBI, you took a TIG welding class, and you took a (laughs) bracing class. And, uh, you know, I haven't, I don't know if I've seen any of your TIG welding work ever or if you've done any since that class. I know (laughs) you've had a titanium bike or two made with your name on it where you did, uh, you know, like the mitering and the prep, the design work, the customer work, those things, and then you handed Uh off the welding uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, I think, your friend Michael, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that was a, a collaboration. Uh, it was a collaboration with Seven, um, but yeah, it was specifically um, Mike Salvatore, who does sketchy mm-hmm. uh, cycles, and I... Um, ag- again, this is kind of like throwing it back to the Vitus uh, idea of, like, the Vitus had those square-cut lugs that were, you know, no attention was put on aesthetics whatsoever, and I was like, what if you made a really minimal... Skirt lug um that had some kind of shape and some kind of nice you know lines to it, and then but the bulk of the bonding was done with an internal lug like the Vitus um so like taking the idea and like well, what if we what if we like you know gusted it up and made it like look nice mm-hmm. you know the Vitus has had an, an aesthetic all their own, but like i I don't think they would no one would call them beautiful, like they were just ninety degree cuts um. So yeah, so that was the 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 idea for that. But yeah, he did. Mike did all the. I mean, they're beautiful. he's been welding for uh, longer than no, not longer than my life, but he's been welding for over twenty years, um, and and can uh, obviously throw an arc much better than I ever could. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what in my mind as someone as an outsider to the industry, I, I thought it would be important to take a TIG welding class, um, and I think TIG welding was so and like as soon as you hit the pedal like stuff's melting and like for me as soon as I hit the pedal like the holes were burning in tubes you know <laughs> I was like oh god oh god um you know where it's breathing is like it's like you know you know. and so I took that course first and it was terrifying you know every time like fingers crossed like don't burn holes in tubes, tube don't burn holes in tube you know or you, you you know hit your or you know flip your helmet down and hit the pedal and like you you were touching the part and like you know it just shorted out yep. like nothing happened um so i feel like you know you do that for a week and you like, somehow get a frame out of it and you're like whoa that was really hard and then you go to brazing and it's like and now you kind of wave the flame at the bike and if it's not hot enough you can wave it closer and if it's too hot you go wave it a little farther away and it's like are we ready to add the silver like oh no 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 <laughs> you're just preheating you know, like, it's like, so much slower. You're like, okay, now we can, you know, they wouldn't even let you hold the silver. Like, don't just put the silver down. You're not even, you got to preheat, you know, you got to get the flux to, you know, go from the paste to the, you know, glassy. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, so I feel like, you know, I was approaching it with that ease like, okay, it must be ready. So I, I would glot up the, the silver because I was adding it too soon. And, and it, ultimately, I, I ended up liking breathing a lot better because you kind of warm up to it, literally. And, mm. and it's a, <laughs> a lot more relaxing uh, of a, of a process and you can correct it. And if you, if you do have a blob, there's, you know, ways that you can kind of draw the silver back to where you want it to go, provided you didn't burn the flux off. Um, So yeah, I, I ended up liking that way, way more. And I never really revisited TIG work. Although it was always, I think the other reason I didn't revisit the TIG stuff is working at seven. Like I was always near a TIG welder who was infinitely more skilled than I was. So the motivation to like, you know, put in the, Twenty thousand hours or whatever to get good at. When you could like, Mike, I need you to weld something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, or or Marty, you know, or even just tacking, like making racks was like a real like one of the times where I really wish I could just hit, put tacks down. Yeah, um, you know, because you've got everything kind of set up on the you know dry fit and trying to dry fit and then and braise it. You know, the flux gets. You, the parts just glide right off, and and you end up with a mess on the floor. So, um, yeah, there were definitely times where I would have been served well by welding, but um yeah, I think I think there were just too many good welders around me that I was more motivated. and not a lot of people who do lugs. So I was like, oh, lugs can be my thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you do it very well. Thanks. Yeah, and the and the fillets and everything, and I. Uh... Uh, for some reason, I always when I see your work or when I think of you, I think a lot of times your more classic work is like what sticks in the front of my brain or something. But uh, but then you know, the, like through this conversation and and when I'm seeing your work at shows and on your websites and different things, I'm always reminded that uh, you know you do a lot of actually more contemporary looking stuff. You know, usually yeah. all braised with with fillets and stuff, but um, mm-hmm. you do plenty of that. For some reason, I, I'm. Maybe maybe it's like the display with your uncle with the with the lugs that he's cut and the Hollingsworth yeah. thing. Maybe that's yeah. part of it. I think of you for for that a little bit more actually. But um, yeah, you do a really good job with that stuff. It's always really interesting to see what you bring because it's never never just the same thing.
1: Yeah, thanks. I I definitely yeah I I I think if I had to look back, I think I've probably done more like well, it's probably about fifty-fifty. Like the the straight up classic. Lug stuff, and then something with a little bit of slope, a little bit of like unusual tubing, mm-hmm. uh, and especially nowadays, I, I've done a lot of bikes with um, tapered steers. Um, so, to me, that's like the idea of like, what if the '90s steel thing never stopped? Like, what would we be doing in steel? Um, and Columbus is just continuing to make awesome tube sets, and like, you know, people are making 44 millimeter head tubes in in um, in steel, like I was using, uh, the uh, very wall has some of the forty-four millimeter um, stock. With um, and I get the cups from Nova to, to kind of like give it a little, you know, mm-hmm. uh, visual, visual, you know, kind of nods to like a, a, you know, the top of a lug um, or some kind of, you know, break uh, in the mm-hmm. tube. Um, so yeah, to me, I'm like, oh, that's just an extension of like what you would be doing with steel. Like as parts evolve. You know, the same idea of those stupid loop guys on the head tube, like, you know, it's like, that's the natural evolution of like, yeah, let's not stop doing steel. I think it rides really well. Like, I think there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, you know, I think aesthetically it always looks pleasing if it's a fillet or if it's a, even s stays, like I think when you can blend those nicely,
2: mm-hmm. like
1: they look really good. Um, so yeah, so to me, I'm like, I get, I I do enjoy all that, even though, you know, it, if, if left to my own druthers, like. I love that kind
0: of level top tube, quill stem, you know, look. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I love that stuff. I don't know, I just love bikes. It's, it's funny. Yeah, how this, <laughs> this conversation with you gets me more nostalgic than a lot of the other ones I've been having because it reminds me of just how incredibly um, I felt like how, how hard I fell in love with bikes and bike frame building when I was about like, 19 to 22 years old and they're just like the the levels of nerdery where i think yeah, yeah. in the time since then i've been more interested in frame building and like the shop work and i think it was in that earlier stage where i was just even more i think i was preoccupied with the bikes themselves and uh i'm like remembering some of the specifics of that and it's this it's this it's this bittersweet sort of nostalgia or something i don't know it's very it's very nice to remember <laughs> uh, yeah especially talking about your time trial bikes because man those things just rocked my world those are so cool
1: (laughs) they were cool i think i think there's something to be said for like when you're even with music like i never get i hear something i like it but it's never as exciting as it was yeah you know but so there's something about like when you're younger like the idea of like the urgency of like liking something Mm -hmm. um and and kind of wanting to to you know, have it be your thing and like identify it, like uh, yeah. behind it, you know, or with it. Um, I think it's huge. Like, I, I definitely, I think that got locked in at an early age. And, and in many ways, like maybe we're all just chasing the things that we thought were cool when we were, <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, teenagers or, or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I think it is. It is. It gets locked in, and it, you know, like I understand. Like my dad will always love Paramounts. Like to him, that's the apex of you know. of of bike design and fabrication like and nothing will ever surpass that you know um and i'm like yeah i get it that's 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 when you you know kind of came online and like that'll that'll be locked in forever um you know so but that being said like i think it it ultimately fuels like a a interest in manufacturing like my interest is making things really and when I get to make things that I, you know, that, that that tickle that nostalgia for me, that's great. But like if I'm making something um, that gets that, that satisfies some customers need, um, you know, if the, even if their need is just like, I just want to be comfortable on a bike. Um, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Me, so. so last question I'll give you here before we wrap this yeah. up is, um, yeah. uh, think about this either way, uh, advice you'd have to other newer builders or advice you would give to, you know, your younger self on the path that you were on uh, toward the journey of frame buildership, uh, things that might've made it easier for you or things that you see other people struggling with or, or tips to like, uh, success or something, (laughs) uh, and whatever that means to you.
1: Oh, I, I, this is a great question because I think about this all the time. Um, and the thing that, the thing that killed me when I was a, a young builder is I had no interest in learning about the business side of running a business, Uh
2: um,
1: which sounds crazy, but like, I kind of ran into it just like, I love bikes. Yeah. Um, Me too. Yeah. And, and, and really like didn't structure, like I was a sole proprietor, which is kind of risky, like from a liability standpoint, um, you know, being so intimately coupled with what could be a, you know, dangerous product, uh, if you, if you do it wrong, um, you know, oh, I'm I'm building in the traditional way, like nothing bad will ever happen. Um, and nothing did, but you know, like that, that was kind of a risky move. Um, I think my advice would be like, <laughs> cultivate it as a hobby, maybe uh, not to, not to be like, don't follow your dreams, but like, you know, get, get good at the frame building part of it. And then start business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not like everything at once. Um, Cause all I wanted to do was braise, braise, braise and like, you know, it turns out like even if your company's wildly successful, like a lot of the company stuff is like answering emails or like talking to customers or Yeah. You know, just a million little day to day things that at the time I was like, Ugh, this is tedious. Ugh, I just want to be brazing. Um so I think I think it would have been it would have suited me well to have maybe done it on the weekends and like allowed myself to be like, Yeah, when I go in the shop, all I'm doing is brazing or tarricaning or, or and like that's great. Um, and then kind of like, okay, and here's how I'm going to start an LLC. Here's how I'm going to, you know, maybe I take yep. a freaking community college class on, like, you know, uh, being a small business center. Like, so I've kind of I figured that out over the years and, and ultimately have made it work. But it, there were definitely some, uh, some frustrations that came from, from really just not being interested in that part of it. And, like, ultimately, if you want to do it as a business, you have to be interested in yeah. the whole meat and potatoes of it, too. Um, so I think, you know, part of that's just being young and I, I almost wouldn't even give that advice because I'm like, whatever, I had fun and like, I made a lot of mistakes, but I was always, it was always fun. There's a little sense of dread, which I think was good. You know, the, those years, the time trial years, like it was always, it was fun. but It was like, yeah, we're going to, am I going to be able to make shop rent? You know what I mean? It was like, it was always kind of a little, and it always worked out like, or you do a repair for someone and like, um. Yeah, you know, you're paying cash, please. You know, I don't want to put this on the books, type of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that would be the advice of like get either if you're good at business, that's great. But like, if you're not good at business and you're getting started with frame building, you got to get one up to speed first. Mm-hmm. I think doing doing both at the same time is a is a recipe for for either getting burnt out or, or you know making some bad decisions that'll that'll end up hurting you. Um, I would say a, a bit of advice like always if possible, um, share a space. And I happen to, like at the time that there were a ton of builders, but like I share a space now with a with a, a machinist, uh, a luthier, a fit bike fit person and a woodworker. Mm-hmm. So like, I think sharing a space like keeps, well, specifically sharing a space with other, like either craftsmen or artists or like people who will understand good work and I feel like on a like some level, like being near people who who value that level of attention to detail and quality, like keeps your work really good. Um, whereas it might be a little easier to to take shortcuts if you're just kind of like left by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like having having you as a shopmate, even though we weren't doing the exact same thing. Like I I never sent anything out the door that wasn't like you know, you could photograph it with a macro lens and, and, you know, not a pinhole in sight. And like, I think that ultimately too, like there were bikes that I, I think I overfinished a lot of bikes and like to the detriment of, of any profitability, like the company never made any money, but like, um, I definitely think that that com- competition maybe went a little out of hand where like I would finish it to like, uh, you know, the, the an unnecessary degree of, uh, of finish. Because mm-hmm. you know a lot, paint does. Some paints, I guess, are are, are better or worse than others. But paint can can cover a lot of sins. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, and then just like kind of understanding when to throw the towel in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's worse things you can do with your youth than uh, <laughs> start a frangling company. So I um, ultimately like what, the worst thing you can do. I think my advice would be like not to not to get into a ton of debt. Um, yeah, so absolutely. I, I was always I was real cautious about. I mean, I think I bought one machine, you know. Uh, and if I couldn't share a machine with another person in the space, I would just do it by hand. Like mm-hmm. so, like, and ultimately, that you know, you that's a double edged sword too, because you kind of need machines to to be profitable. Because doing everything by hand is is time consuming. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I was able to avoid kind of getting into trouble where like, you know, shop rent was one thing, but like shop rent and like, Oh crap, I've got this, you know, Bridgeport. I got to pay off or or something. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So I think, I think, you know, not, not getting in over your head and expecting like Oh, I'll make some sales and like that'll, that'll pay for it. Like always like I can only buy what I have the money to afford type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, these are all like pretty obvious things. I think, I think, the, the ultimate advice is just you know make you got to make at least 10 frames before you start selling them i think mm-hmm. um and maybe that means you know maybe it's for like the cost of tubes or like you know something to keep the lights on but um i do think that you gotta have at least 10 um some <laughs> some people famously think you have to have like way more than that um but i think 10 is a good a good number like at that point like you, you shouldn't be scared of like or it shouldn't be like a, a kind of a, uh, like, well, I hope things are going to go well once, you know, these strike the torch.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I think you have to have the conscious, like, okay, I know how to move the silver or brass or whatever your yeah. your meeting uh, is. Uh, yeah. And I, I remember those early frames where I'm like, when it goes well, you're like, yeah. And then when it goes sideways, you're like, what is happening? <laughs> I, like, it's like, I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that, that feeling of dread has to be kind of out the door. Yeah, uh, before you can start selling him. Uh, cause otherwise you just gonna it's going to be too stressful. Like, yeah. um, and that'll kind of take the the fun out of it. Yeah. I would I also think, recommend having a good day job.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I would absolutely say that. And I think there's a difference between like, Oh, uh, you know, so-and-so says I should have 10 or 25 or however many yeah. frames under my belt before I do it. Well, let me just crank them out. And then like, I, I don't know, I guess like, I, I think that, you know, by the time I had made five and ten and however many mm-hmm. frames, I thought they were coming out pretty good because uh, yeah, I, I had yeah. spent a lot of time on, like, practice joints and I had really mm-hmm, super mm-hmm. nerded out on it and it took me a long time to produce each one uh, because mm-hmm. because I do a lot of research and I'd stop and build tools. And so mm-hmm. I felt like, though it was incredibly slow, um, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I had covered some ground by the time I got to the number ten. And, and there's different ways to do yeah. it. You know, some people they they uh they buy a fixture and they start cranking them out and after a couple months they've made like 15 bikes and um mm-hmm. and if they don't have any background in fabrication they might not look so hot and so there's different you know whatever the number ends up being yeah maybe you're going yeah. for like a feeling or a level or something more than but yeah
1: yeah I think that, yeah you're right you that's exactly right it shouldn't be a there's no like prescription it should yeah. be like <laughs> the, the the fear should be gone the confidence should be there and then you can and then you can you can boogie so
0: yeah, because um, there's another yeah. thing, you know, I think a lot of frame builders feel sort of like imposter syndrome or something like it's easy oh, to feel yeah, like definitely. you get into it because you respect it and you admire it so much and feeling like you're never there. And, you know, yeah. at some point you have to be able to say at some point, like, yeah, like I can't walk on water, but like I think I can make a bike, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to do yeah. this and and, and the you know, I'm not going to be good at uh, running a frame building shop until I've done it some like I won't know how to like really talk to customers and, and, you know, fit people. I won't do any of that uh, by not doing any of it. So I, you know, at some point you just got to start.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, and as you learn more, like, you know, the bikes that I held up as the gold standard, like I've seen, you know, you, you learn to see the the warts on them and like, you know, you learn that production bikes from, you know, even the Italian ones, like, production bikes are production bikes There's file marks there's like blems like you know they're 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 they're, they weren't precious about it in a way that i think a lot of american
2: custom Mm -hmm. builders
1: are um which is kind of eye-opening too you're like oh um and then there are some frames where like i i every bruce gordon i see is like the epitome of perfection uh, somehow uh so you know you know then there's people like that where like i the lugs are perfectly thin like Chris Bishop's frames. Like, yeah, I've, I've never seen anything other than just pure beauty, yeah. uh, out of that guy's shop, which is great. Like, uh, you know, but I think it's like, that's cool, but it's also cool to be like, yeah, I, I've seen some DeRozas that are, you know, got mm-hmm. chewed up bottom brackets and like, they work great.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, oh. I, Brian Chapman, when I had him on the show, he was saying that with the paint work they were doing, like the refinishing, especially at circle a, you know, he, he saw he saw some really beautiful stuff and then he saw a lot of like what you can get away with. And he's like, well, yeah. I don't want that to lower my own bar, but it's, it's good to know where the bar could possibly be. I think is what he said. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's that, like, well, yeah. Looking know, this, at
1: other frames. Yeah.
0: doing yeah, repairs this. and
1: stuff. Like it is, it is good to see that like, Oh yeah. Like some stuff left the shop not looking quite, you know, a hundred percent. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah. But I, and then, you know, really, I think a lot of frame builders, when they are started, they're focused on, on the beauty of it. But like the thing about working at seven, is like, you got to have those frames be dead straight because if they look nice and they wobble when you're going downhill, like, you know, mm-hmm. get, to get the, get the shimmy, um, that's going to besmirch your name. Like if, if you've got a customer who's like, yeah, this, this bike doesn't ride good or doesn't descend well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that drove a.
0: Uh, you know struck a chord too yeah cool well uh, I think that's a good a good place to wrap it up I really appreciate you being on the show and I really appreciate yeah. you being on the show the second time <laughs> uh, the lost the lost tapes yeah. the lost tapes yeah so yeah sorry about that but um yeah, yeah thanks so much I can't wait to see you at the Philly Bike Expo oh, and and everyone else to too yeah it's yeah. always a great time and um I'm gonna get there early this year I'm gonna have slapped I'm gonna, I think, uh, yeah, it's gonna be good. I'm gonna be ready this time.
1: Nice. Yeah. I I feel like this year I'm gonna get there a little late, but hopefully <laughs> I'll uh I'll I'll get some sleep the the night the week before and uh and be ready to rock and roll. I mean, it's so electrifying. Like I just going to Blackbird, like hanging out and getting pizza with everybody, and like oh, going yeah. to Simon's shop. Like I feel like it's it's like frame builder Christmas. So yeah, it um, is yeah I, I i would never like as long as Bean is doing it i'll i would you know even if i just bring one bike like i'll, I'll always do that show because it's, it's such a blast like just to catch up with people i only see like once a year
0: yeah absolutely um, so. cool well uh yeah. see you soon and um thanks so much for being on the show thanks joe appreciate yeah. it yep bye cool take care bye